And welcome to episode two of Reckless Attack, which I don't know if you've heard is an actual play fifth edition Dungeons and Dragons podcast. I am Nathan Lurz. I'm your dungeon master here this evening. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I was feeling a little weird today going into the session, but (laughs) the cheers already have just washed away all of the anxiety and pay no attention to any pit stains or whatever you see. Uh. Seated to my right is the illustrious and well-documented. I don't know. I'm trying. I thought it that would be fun, and then it was was not. Anyway, who? I, who I don't. Are you? I don't mind being well-documented. Well, <laughs> I, I we won't. We can't. My name is Steve Hurwitz, and I am going to be playing Sylvesterlin, the dragonborn monk. He stands about six foot five inches tall. Mostly dressed in reds and golds, as is the colors of his monastery. Unlike a lot of, uh, I guess, standard dragonborns, he actually does have some hair or fur, kind of hard to tell, which is kind of in a combination of white and silver, which blends in nicely with his silverish scales. Mm-hmm. Generally speaking, he can be seen walking around with a quarterstaff that he uses as a walking stick. And um, I think I mentioned he's a monk. <laughs> <laughs> in case I haven't, he is yeah. a monk. In case I haven't, he is a monk. So... He's uh he's he's traveling around the world trying to uh, uh I, I don't I almost wanted to quantum leap there right <laughs> the things that once went wrong yeah. um, hey you know and, it's your character yeah, Steve yeah. you can well, be well. Scott Bakula Dragon if you'd like that's yeah. uh, maybe maybe <laughs> anyway to my right hello I'm David and I play Kaskarin Brightmane the dwarven warlock he is a rather squat middle aged dwarf who has a number of golden spirals atop his skin, and his extremities are encrusted with stone due to a very interesting event in his past that has left him elementally transformed. Mm. He is a member of the Eternal Citadel, his chosen patron, which we will get into later. But he stands at the front line, heavy mail at the ready, and Maul ready to smash whatever gets in his way. Ooh, I like that. Wonderful. Hi, everyone. <laughs> My name is Jonathan, and today I am playing the frog druid Checkers and his trusty frog pal, Mango. Checkers is a smallish blue frog with a large fur cloak and leather kilt. He also wears a tricorn hat from which you can see a small little green tree frog pop out of. Uh, typically, he can be seen riding his large green tree frog <laughs> mango as the two of them are a pair and are fairly inseparable but they are typically found just leaping across rooftops doing frog things yeah and and to clarify for anyone who just uh weirdly skipped episode one and went straight to episode two for some reason he is a a frog who is a druid not a druid of frogs but also now that i say it out loud you're also Kind of a druid of frogs. Yeah. Stack right. of frogs. Stack of frogs. Just yes. large, medium, Medi- medium it's, creature, it's right? Medium, small, tiny. Oh, that's right. Yes. So Mango's medium, Checkers is small, and Junior is tiny. Yes. Uh, but so, yeah, they 
a a frog druid and druid of frogs. It all works out. Synergy. <laughs> and finally. Hi, I'm Sophie and I play Valeska Carter, the human looking cleric mm-hmm. of the Arcana domain. She is not a small creature, but is probably the same height as Checkers. She's five foot nothing with short, dark hair and rocking some medieval looking sunglasses, which are just like an eye mask to help from the sun of her desert home of Rachma and is wearing some light leather armor with some light flowing tunics to help with the desert heat. And that is our adventuring party here this evening. And and while I know that, you know, hopefully you all just came straight from episode one because uh, we're releasing them at the same time. I, Sophie, am so worried for Cass. <laughs> we'll be fine. He can't die. It's yeah. only episode two, right? What, yeah. what could yeah. possibly go wrong? Yeah, but what a message that would send. Right. Everyone, right? Nathan has been watching a lot of Matthew Colville. That's right. <laughs> so, Cass. You are walking through these trees. There is not a lot of delineation. There's no steady growth into thicker trees as you walk in. Pretty much as soon as you step foot off of the road, these are old trees. This is an old forest that's been here certainly longer than you've been alive and probably longer than your parents have been alive or even grandparents. Immediately, after even taking a few steps you lose track of where you are because of how thick it is. You can just make out like, okay, the campfires are sort of back there. I think I came from over there. But in front of you is the faintly glittering form that called to you. It's close enough that you would never lose your way uh, as you're following, but far enough that you somehow never get a great look at it. You travel this way several hundred feet into the surrounding forest. All around you, all you can see now is trees and grass and brush and this figure that continues ahead of you. As Kaskrin is walking through these ancient woods, he is checking in with himself as he's walking with this woman. He feels the presence of the eternal citadel there is like a rock like a like an oath that he knows he took you know decades ago strangely as he is walking he feels just one thing he feels an overwhelming sense of duty to keep walking and follow this woman he knows that this woman is not part of the eternal citadel but the citadel is pushing him on to follow her. As you are going through this, thinking through it with every step you take, suddenly your feet, which are so attuned to the world around you, to such that you can feel things in the ground and the dirt all around you, you notice a slight change. And you sense that there is a layer of stone just underneath the soil and grass that you are walking on. You immediately realize that you are now following what was a road at one point. And you see the form again, just occasionally, kind of looking back, ensuring that you're still following and seeing your assured footfalls as you stride forever further. And then 
suddenly you lose sight of it. A tree gets in the way or, or maybe it ducked somewhere, but it's, it's gone. And you still with that same confidence in yourself and in your patron, you take a few steps further and you find yourself in a small clearing. For a moment, you think you see some sort of kind of scaled monstrosity in front of you. You maybe even curse yourself, be like, shit. (laughs) By the 12. Yeah. Where have you led me? Uh, And after that passes, that moment of trained reflex of of a gilder settles down, you realize that it is actually an ancient, beautiful tree standing alone in the middle of this clearing with oxidized copper, silver, and gold pieces nailed over nearly every square inch of its trunk and many of its branches. And you can't guess how old it is uh, because you're not a nature type person, <laughs> but the dense trunk and the bits of barely visible rubble that you're kind of now seeing all around you poking out of the ground give you a decent idea of how old this place must be. I look up and Kaskrin sees the tree's limbs just sort of branching ever upwards like fractals into the night sky, joining with the surrounding forest. He sees the glint from the different oxidized pieces on this tree and walks forward to take a closer look. So as your eyes scan the tree, the surrounding area, trying to not just take in everything, assess threats, figure out maybe what you're doing here. Right. Your eyes settle on a small wood axe that is embedded in this tree. Several pieces of the coins that are there are gone near what seems to be a fairly fresh cut, but there is seemingly no sign of the owner of this axe. Suddenly, again, something else catches your eye. You see in front of you the creature that led you here is standing before you. And this sense of calm overtakes you. You know, it's almost as if you are remembering to relax your shoulders and take a deep breath for the first time in in a week. Or that you're taking in a beautiful natural landscape that is just kind of almost overwhelming to consider. This creature, which is, it's definitely humanoid in shape, but is very strange. And again, has this kind of greenish, brownish skin tone and this strange hair where it seems to be hair, but also maybe branches or or something. It's, It's very surreal. Like you almost can't quite parse it because of how strange it is. But this thing, and again, it is wearing almost a dress. And you can see now that this dress is made out of coins that are stylistically placed all over its body. These coins are fairly fresh and new looking in contrast to the very old rusted coins. You've gone to great lengths to take me here, Catherine says in a calm, almost monotone voice. Who are you? And what do you want from me? The creature looks back at you, and it seems like it understands what you're saying. 
but it does not respond. What it does do is it points to the axe in the tree and it looks very cross. <laughs> and then very smoothly in a very, you know, like a, it's such a simple gesture and for such a simple gesture to be described as graceful is almost ridiculous, but somehow it is. And it points down at the ground of the tree where a few roots stick up from the dirt. With a weird sudden clarity, you see two creatures laying there as if the roots have split open, revealing something to you. One is a female tiefling that is wearing some colorful clothing in a style that you're not immediately familiar with. That individual is breathing, but is unconscious and seems to be sickly in some way. The other creature you are a little more familiar with, but not in this particular way, is a grung. This grung is not at all the color of your stalwart companion, Checkers. It is almost a fluorescent green. It has some small tinges of blue, especially kind of around the eyes, the fingertips, that kind of thing. It is laying there next to this other creature and a large hole through its chest says that it did not meet the same fate as the unconscious sickly person sitting next to it. The creature looks at you again. It stares at you unblinking and it points to the ax. It points to the grung looks a little sadly at the creature laying next to it, the tiefling and then looks cross again and then points deeper into the woods. The message it is sending is this thing with that axe was doing something and there's something over there and I want you to take care of it. Okay. Kaskrin walks towards the tree and examines what's been done to it. He takes the axe, looks it over, and with his other hand reaches towards the tree to see where it's been cut. Yeah, and as you actually, as you take the axe out of the tree, because it's still just like essentially embedded in the side of it, you can actually see the creature wince. He looks at the axe and he sees, this might be a little stylistic, but um, instead of tree sap, he sees a reddish yeah, resin absolutely. covering the blade of the axe. Why would anyone do this? And he looks back at the tree, back at the grung, uh, and he puts the axe in the side loop of his belt before turning back to the woman. She is still looking just directly at you, all of the kind of anger and pain and pity all yeah. gone from her face again and just looking at you. So what are you going to do about it? Right. <laughs> yep. He turns away from her and kneels by the tiefling. The grung is too far gone. He knows that he cannot save him. Yep. And like snaps his fingers in front of her eyes to see if she is still conscious and checks for a pulse. Hey, can you hear me? Are you okay? Well, David, that sounds like it's maybe time for the first D20 roll <laughs> of the campaign. Ooh. What? 
Is this just is this just a regular the, D twenty roll? No, no, no. no. A, this will set the tone for everything that happens uh, afterwards. The pressure. <laughs> it is nothing as a regular D twenty roll. Roll me a medicine check, please. Oh god. Okay. Eleven. Okay. You get a pulse. You know, you have to search for a little while. All you can really tell is that this person is in a bad way. Yeah. I will pull this tiefling. I will pull her from the root and kind of set her up against the tree to get her comfortable. I rummage through my pack and pull out a small red flask, just a regular cure wounds potion. And I'm going to, you know, gently tip the contents of this potion into her lips. Okay. I don't think it will really do much, but anything is better than nothing. And I will take a closer look into where the woman pointed into the forest. You know, yeah. look at the spot where so, she pointed. So you see a little bit of color return to this person. They are still clearly sickened, but it does seem that it has fortified them a little bit. Right. And so you kind of start heading a little bit, at least looking that direction. And by the way, the woman is gone now. Okay. I, I look back to see where she might have been and then you know, realize she's gone. It's just the three of us. I make sure that the tiefling is comfortable and then I start heading towards the spot in the forest. Okay. Uh, how far do you go in? I imagine that there's, it's like partly underbrush in between all of these tall ancient trees. I, you know, past the first tree, the second tree, I'm maybe five feet in just to see like what is past there, but always keeping an eye on the the ancient oxidized tree. Yeah, making sure you know where you are. Yeah. Yeah, got it. Roll me a perception check. 17. Ooh, pretty good. You quiet your mind. You stop. You think. You try to parse through all of the sounds of the forest, the chirps, the squawks, the horrible loud crashing sounds that are just like, oh, yeah, and that's, that's just, that always happens. No worries. <laughs> You don't hear anything, but again, you feel like you were pretty in tune with what was going on around you. You're kind of feeling out, you're reaching out and trying to parse through all the information that you're getting. All you can tell is that if something is that direction, it's not close enough for you to be able to know for sure. Okay. Citadel, what have you gotten me into? What have I gotten myself into? You know, all these thoughts and self-doubts are going through his head. Uh, this isn't the first time he's helped someone, obviously, but no amount of military training or training with the Golden Tree has prepared him for finding a tiefling and a grung <laughs> hidden underneath a weird tree. On one shoulder, he's going to pick up the corpse of the grung. And on the other, after a little bit of finagling, he gets the tiefling as well. Taking one look back at the tree, he goes step, step, just plodding back the way he came through the forest until he's back on the road and then back to familiar territory. Yeah. Carrying these two bodies. It's less hard than you were ready for it to be. You were able to kind of once you experienced everything, your kind of regular sense of direction came back and you're like, okay, no, that's. That's where I came from. I can just keep walking that way and I'll hit the road and you are correct. After a few minutes of walking, he mm -hmm. sees the light of the runic road mm -hmm. and the campfires of the caravan. He still feels this odd sensation when he returns that like for some reason nobody is looking his way mm -hmm. and he makes his way back to 
his caravan where he knows that his other guild members are. Yep. His first reaction is to find Valeska and wake her up. He sets the two bodies down and then says, Valeska, are you awake? I need you. Oh, yeah, I'm getting up. I know it's my turn for watch, I think. No, no. No? This is important. Come, get ready. Come out here. Bring your medicine kit. What? I'm coming. I'm coming. Where was Valeska sleeping? I'm assuming we kind of had, like, campfires between different, like, wagons and things like that. And I know Val and Checkers were dissecting a lobster. Yes, you were. Right before bed and doing some culinary experiments. Mm Mm-hmm with the the meat of it. So I think Val would probably have fallen asleep, like leaning up against maybe like a crate or something. So she was sitting on the ground and like leaning up against it with her, one of her notebooks on her lap, just taking notes. But uh, Hoti is probably curled up next to her. Oh my God, yes. Because that sweet angel baby needs scritches. Yep. Constantly. Uh, constantly. So and she's probably like, it doesn't need a blanket, but she's like tucked it in. <laughs> Man, that's not fair. I wanted to do that. <laughs> well, your Casper's just gonna take Val's place okay, when, yeah, when right. his watch is over. Like somebody has to be next to Hody at all you times. Hody. <laughs> yeah, like a little donkey. <laughs> but once you say like, "Oh, get your medicine kit," Val's like, "Okay, all right, no, I'm up, I'm up," and she like slaps her face a little bit and uh, is grabbing her stuff. Okay, and, and we'll follow. And where did you put these two individuals, the corpse and the person? I would have put them on the side of the caravan, but in the shadows. I imagine that there's like a campfire in the middle. We're all around uh, this. But I want to hide these bodies in a way to not alert the other families nearby. Yeah, I was just thinking that. And you would know that, again, you had that moment, just that weird clearing of everyone as you're kind of re-entering but you know especially you probably better than anyone know that you would that someone would come by right and that you would be seen if you and if you cared about not being seen you need to take precautions so that's perfect do you even maybe haul them into the wagon or something just to like get them all the way out of the way Especially no. if everyone's like sleeping outside or anything like that. No, because I don't know what has happened to this tiefling and being COVID conscious. I don't want to <laughs> bring her into the tent until we can figure out more what is going on with her. Got it. Okay. At least you know enough that gaping chest wounds are probably not contagious. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was going to say, so Mango would probably be sleeping under the same tree that Checkers is. But when Caskrin gets close to the campfire... Mango's probably going to wake up and go over to Kaskrin. Yeah, I've got my my mail on. Like, I'm not being super quiet. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, Kaskrin, you would see a medium-sized green tree frog. Mango just sort of hop, over to, boy. hop over to you. Yes. And uh, you're still carrying probably some things as Mango approaches, but... He's just going to sort of come up over to you and just sort of sit there and look at you, like, expectantly. <laughs> I, I like I like look at the uh I try to like reach out to like pet mango uh-huh. and then realize that you know the tiefling has slipped out a yeah. little bit and I have to like shrug my shoulders to get them back on mm-hmm. and it's like I like just kind of gently nudge him with my foot into his, like his little <laughs> belly and it's like you're a good boy mango go go get your dad and then mango hops back off and goes to try and find checkers 
just imagine like a little rock toe yeah. on the yeah. screen, like, <laughs> like, like poking, could you just, poking like a Pillsbury Doughboy belly. I don't, I don't speak big frog. I don't know what you want. <laughs> just could, I'm fine. Get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh, okay. So, so we'll keep mindful that Checkers is going to show up at some point. Mm-hmm. Selv has not been alerted yet. So Val, you come out into the open, I guess, mm-hmm. and you see. And sorry, correct me if this was Cass's watch. Correct. This yes. okay. And this is okay. first watch too. Okay. So Val, yes, you emerge. You see that Grung is not on the mortal coil any longer, and yes, you see a very sickly-looking tiefling that Cass is again kind of gently arranging, so it's somewhat comfortable. What do you do? Val will immediately kind of set to work and like get like a space cleared, like lay down on the cloth so she yeah, can like kneel cool. down next to the tiefling and start working. And she will just kind of look at Casper and be like, please talk while I work. <laughs> <laughs> and then start like checking for a pulse mm-hmm. and just seeing if she can see any and wounds or, um, you know, I'm sure in her examination. So I'll start to see that the tiefling is sickly and then maybe see if there's a smaller wound that might be where poison was injected or something like that. And Perfect. start process of elimination why this woman is unconscious love it awesome we'll ask you to roll in just a second david what is kaskarin telling her or what information is she passing along as she's kind of again looking for wounds opening up clothing and checking pulses everything that she can do to figure yeah. out what's wrong val's implication is why did you bring me two dead bodies <laughs> one and a half dead bodies <laughs> as this is happening do checkers and selve also come by no one's waking up okay Um, i imagine like selves like his monk senses are like a hair trigger i'm not i'm not gonna i'm not gonna tell steve how heavy selves sleeps but that's right i was thinking they are he knows but he's tired (laughs) (laughs) he's waiting he's not gonna cry like if they if they need me yeah yeah. Yeah. if they need me they'll get me yeah Yeah, exactly so what might happen is also when Mango goes to find Checkers, Checkers is, would go find Selv. Because if Checkers has to be awake, then Selv has to be awake. <laughs> got it, got it, got it. If I'm not sleeping, nobody's right. sleeping. Exactly. So Checkers might just literally go over to Selv and be like, Selv, Selv, everyone's up. I'm up. You're up. Let's go. <laughs> Excellent. Well, yeah. uh, we'll get to you. We'll have you guys enter in just a, a yeah. second. So, yes, Dave, what is Kaskarin, you know, as Val, again, is checking this person, trying to figure out what's going on. What are you filling her in on? There was a woman who came through the woods. Valeska, she called me, and I went with her onto a a road that parted through these ancient woods. When I was there, there was an old tree covered in coins, I think, and that's where I found these two. I think there's still something there. I think we have to go back, but... We needed to save this tiefling woman. I we couldn't just I couldn't just leave her there. I don't know where the woman is now though, but maybe she's still out there. Maybe we can still find her. Okay. Just accepts it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah no. Um got other stuff to deal with. Val doesn't really respond. She just gives you like a, a very not curt, but just like efficient okay. It's been recorded and will be unpacked later. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. Not top priority. There's no like battle happening or imminent threat that she can set about working. Excellent. Why don't you roll me that medicine check? And we'll say that that is roughly when checkers and self are coming on 
onto the scene so you can have your kind of like doctor house md moment where you're declaring like oh my god <laughs> this person definitely has scurvy it is yeah. Lupus. Ugh, it was on a it was on a natural oh, one for like just a, a hot second. There was yeah. a whole story involved yeah. with that yes. natural. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ten. just a ten. Yeah, I am not proficient in medicine, but I for a level two character, I have a plus three. Still pretty good. So, as part of her head to toe examination, knowing this woman is a little bit sickly, yes, Val will cast detect magic. Oh, okay, cool. Are you doing it as a ritual? No. This woman's unconscious. It seems a little bit more urgent yes. than to take 10 minutes. Yeah, so. so you do not detect any magic on her. Okay. Whether it is affecting her or otherwise. So yeah, whatever is happening is, we'll say natural, Okay, but you know what I mean. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. D&D natural, which is a lot of questions. So Checkers and Selv, and I don't know if Mango is with you, Checkers. I assume so. I don't know. Is Junior with you? Junior is definitely riding in the hat, and Checkers is riding on, on the Mango. Excellent. So, <laughs> so. full... Stack is Sel- is self is walking <laughs> is not involved <laughs> in any taller, stacks right yep. and yeah and is still taller. So you two come upon this scene. You just see Cass and Val over these two bodies. Obviously, Valeska is working on one in particular. Again, is lifting up shirts, trying to do all kinds of stuff. You know, feeling temperatures, doing whatever she can. And yes, Checkers, you see another grung yeah. that is that is laying there. Right. So Checkers would probably come across a scene a little bit disoriented, a little bit upset that someone interrupted his sleep. <laughs> He'll look over a, ca- a casket and say, Mango said you wanted me over here. What's going? And then he'll see the green fluorescent yeah. grung lying there, unmoving. And Being an obvious, large, clearly mortal wound. And just freeze mid-sentence and a lot of things are kind of going through his head right now one would be did they send someone to find me are there other grung here this is impossible his head is just a whir of questions at this point Selv will kind of he's kind of like staying a little bit back because he's so tall and he's kind of looking over checkers mango it kind of spocks an eyebrow and says uh (laughs) intruders No, no. And I tell them what I told Val. We found them at the tree. One of them is unfortunately dead, but the other one we may still be able to save. And then uh, Selv looks over at Checkers and says, because the grung is, you said it's kind of like a neon greenish. Yeah, so anatomically, it's pretty much the same as Checkers, but the coloration, and you would know this, is wildly different. Checkers, it's wildly different than anyone probably who was in your tribe. Yeah, like, that was one of the questions You've never I had. seen a grung that looks like this. So that might have been one of the questions of, did I know this thing, this person? And immediately just seeing the colors, like, no one I know has ever looked like this. Yes. This is very different. And Selville just kind of make a comment. Bright colors, poisonous would you like to make a roll or something, yeah, my good frogman? Let me go ahead, because the thing that Checkers would know is that his species isn't particularly poisonous, yep. but that's because they are from a different location. But he doesn't know anything about if this particular grung is poisonous. And, and that was kind of directed to 
both Checkers and Val, because yeah. I'm assuming Val is, is still kind of... The second self says that Val is like, of course, <laughs> I'm so sleepy. <laughs> uh, excellent. We'll have you... Uh, that's I'm, I am good with that being, if you'd like that to be another medicine roll with maybe some guidance and that kind yes. of thing. Uh, but first, yeah. we'll have... Checkers, try to <laughs> sounds good. As I smash Jonathan in the arm. Yeah, what do you what do you say? What do you say uh, to guide checkers? Val would probably um just start like saying that little like phrase the tour guide tells you when you see like the little poison arrow, like oh, the yeah. dart frogs <laughs> at the museum of like yes, the fluorescent colors are a warning the other creatures that they are poisonous. So if the fluorescent green makes sense. So what Checkers is going to do is he's going to roll survival, if that works. If this is a creature that he's familiar with, if the colors might indicate yes. in the wild uh, that this would be a poisonous creature. Worst case, he's just going to go up and touch the thing and be like, hey. And uh, hey. Uh, Selv will be more than happy to help Valeska So I would say nature... Or okay. history might be a little better for you, Checkers. Sounds good. But survival, I will take. It'll just be a little harder. But also, you can roll with advantage, as this is a grungy kind of thing. And you would have particular insight in such things, be, guidance. being yes. one. I will take the harder survival. Okay. So that is going to be... And then, could you roll a D4 for me? Four. Ooh. That is a 21 total <laughs> so, on survival. So Val's just monologue of, in the natural world, often bright <laughs> colors can mean, yeah, is actually weirdly <laughs> like gets you into their mindset. Yeah, it's, you know, It's calming for checkers mm -hmm. right in this moment because he's just so confused <laughs> that hearing the old lectures of Alaska <laughs> yeah, yeah. sort of grounds him. Yeah, exactly. He's not actually listening to it. It's just that like background a, sleep it, noise. Exactly. Uh, it's uh, chill lectures to, uh, to study slash chill to <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So that is actually good enough to hit the higher DC. Checkers, what you know about this? First of all, what are you doing, I guess? So do are you getting and like looking at this? Yeah. Or are you just kind of still back and trying to like go through your memories? Checkers at this point would absolutely. So he would dismount Mango and go over to this creature. First confusedly ask Kaskarin what happened and then get the recap. And then just go over and sort of stare at this dead grung. Try to recollect where he might have seen something like this and then just think about what could have caused this, what kind of creature is this? Because he has no idea at this yeah. point. Other than the, the physiology, the grung, there's there's no commonalities between the two. Exactly. So you get a lot of information as you're kind of going through it and you have to like reach back into like recesses of your mind that you have not used in a long time. Mm -hmm. So you're, you know, you're thinking and like, okay, no one in my tribe and and therefore no grung I have ever met looks anything like this color. But there aren't that many colors of grung out in the wild. Sure, they change a little bit of colors, but nothing that's like this fluorescent thing. And Checkers doesn't necessarily know that there are other grung in the world either. He only knows his own tribe. So Got it. seeing another grung is just, it's like meeting a different species of human suddenly. Like, what? <laughs> what you remember... There was stories of Grung who would eat just huge amounts of a certain type of fruit that existed nowhere near anywhere you where you lived. Like it was a, it, on its own, like a mythical faraway place that you didn't even have a name for because it was just like Atlantis as far as you guys were concerned. But by 
overeating this fruit, your body chemistry can change. And not only do you get this strange coloring, your skin starts to exude strange... You wouldn't call it chemicals because you are, you know, checkers, but this strange poison that does different things to people. Part of the reason that this didn't come up beyond you guys not having access to it is that you know that tribes of Grung choose to do this and use it as a way to capture and control people. And now, a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by A Foul Light Shines, a new free serial novel based on a D&D campaign. The Empire of Fire and Water has known 20 golden years of peace since the end of Agenion's War, a peace which is now in peril. When a ragtag group of friends intervene in a grotesque monster attack, they're too late to save a wounded man who leaves them with an encrypted journal and the words, Trust no one, Tyre. Can the gang find Tyre, escape the claws of more strange monsters, and uncover the lurking threat to the Empire before it's too late? This story features themes of found family and strength in diversity, and is available for free on Campfire and Royal Road. A foul light shines. Come for the fantasy. Stay for the cheese-obsessed goblin gunslinger. Hey everyone, Jonathan here with the mid-roll. If you're looking for the hottest frog memes around, join the Reckless Attack community on Discord. You can find a link to it in the show notes of our latest episodes or on our website, recklessattack.com. Want to support the show? Tell a friend or check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash recklessattack, where you can get access to our behind-the-screen talkback show as well as our new Reckless Snacks series, where we eat snacks, hang out, and just talk about whatever's on our mind. Thanks so much for listening to us, and we hope you enjoy the rest of the episode. Kaskarin, how are you feeling? You getting getting dizzy at all? (laughs) I was just thinking that as soon as Checkers analyzes is not the right word, but like as soon as Checkers looks this over and and you know says this is well, does Checkers say that he wouldn't say it's necessarily poisonous? He would just look at it, be reminded of all this stuff, and then just immediately, Kaskarin, you touched this thing, right? Kaskarin, how are you feeling? I I feel fine. I assume I feel fine. (laughs) Could you roll me a Constitution saving throw <laughs> with advantage, please. I may or may not feel fine. Natural 20. Okay. Uh, you realize that, like, you felt a little something, like it was tingly. And it I wasn't even the- necessarily, like, a lot of poison, you know, but, like, ooh, that was, hmm, hmm. Uh, you know, now that you mention it. I thought that was maybe just nerves, but, oh, yeah, now that you mention it. Okay. Uh, I felt a little weird for a bit, but I think I'm okay. No one else touched this thing. It's poisonous, Val. You got it right. Val does like a little internal, like, yes. (laughs) (laughs) 
someone go get Etris. Because she knows, she assumes she knows, he knows a lot more about poisons and might be able to help craft an antidote and is going to assume this woman has been poisoned by this grung. Casper goes into the caravan, just flings back the cloth entrance, and then he disappears to go wake up Etris. Selv, what are you doing during all of this? Selv will kind of move towards Vel. Have you identified the poison? I think it's from this grung, based on what Checkers has told us. As Val is saying this, she's kind of stopped tending to the woman and started like setting up Etris's kit by the fire and is assuming he's going to like start brewing an antidote. And she's watched him probably do enough of this to like get his workflow. Yeah. Yeah. Not like do it herself or anything like that, but just like. You know what he uses yeah. and how, how he likes things set up. Because mm-hmm. that's just she's kind probably of... obsessively watched him exactly. to that's learn the, how to do it. But he's like the, not yeah. teaching her, but she's like, I will learn this. I'm going to learn. I don't care. You don't, you don't need to tell me anything. I'll learn. Yeah. But she's. What she's do gonna... you need that's not here? Um, Edris. <laughs> <laughs> but can you help me bring her closer to the fire? Because I'm assuming we've moved her. We're like. Yeah, we're like the, in the like, woods, like in the shadows. The clearing yeah. by the the road or something and like Or or on the side of the wagon where it's kinda of like hidden from the rest of the camp. Right, exactly. Yeah. So She's I, not in a convenient spot. Yeah, so let's move her like next to the fire. Self so just uh, will nod and then just kind of pick her up as gently as he can and help move her to w- mm-hmm. wherever Val says. Val asks Self to sit with her until Cass comes back with Etris. And then Val will grab some gloves and some vials and go up to checkers and be like, um, checkers, I would like to be respectful, but I also will need to get some of the poison off this grung. Why do you have to be respectful? It's dead. Okay, we're, we're good then. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna go. It, it's not gonna care. All right, just, uh, we're gonna, we'll, Talk later. Yeah, okay. So, um, <laughs> Selv will, will sit down cross-legged next to the uh, the tiefling and kind of take out his flute and just start playing kind of a low, something soothing. Mm-hmm. Wait, what? What? What's going on? I got him. What? Uh, <laughs> what? And you just are hearing this. He is probably actually asleep in the wagon. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, sure. I can uh, see what I can do. Do you know where my uh, my kit is? Uh, I'm trying. Uh, it was right here, I, I swear, and it was all kind of lined up. And as he's, he's like, as you he's hear saying, rummaging going on inside. As he's saying that, I'm assuming it didn't take long for Val to get like little vials uh, from the grung. She comes back with her gloves and vials, and is like, "Oh, don't worry, Etris, I've set it up next to the campfire, and here is samples of the possible poison." Selva's sitting with the poisoned woman and we are ready for you to brew and his like his already always crazy hair somehow looks even crazier and he has like he's kind of squinting and just clearly was about to start ripping apart some boxes that were in here and he's just like well all right then okay let's uh let's get to it and he goes over and he notices the grung that's laying there and he kind of does like a double take so so val's like his sue alchemist yeah <laughs> yeah val has a burning desire to learn everything she can and etris is somebody who is wildly proficient in his field not in the way that she would have trained new new at all aggressively not (laughs) 
but he does have this wealth of knowledge. So she, anytime he would have been like brewing anything, tea, who knows? <laughs> she would be obsessively watching him and taking notes on what he's doing because Etris has probably been wildly annoyed by Val's question. So she's learned to take a little step back and like at the right times ask questions. And I would say even more than that, what Etris often does is he does not give you helpful answers to your questions. Right. He is very much a old grandma chef mm -hmm. where he's just like, well, you know, I just kind of slap a little bit of this. And I don't know. I learned that I use this and that. He's happy to answer the questions, but he's not giving me answers that how much? I want. Yeah. How much? He's giving I me answers. A pinch. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Like, well, how it's much like, is a pinch? It's a pinch. <laughs> I can't. I, that can do nothing with that information right. that you have given me. So you're, you, maybe you've just been like, well, I'll just watch yeah. and I'll, I'll, I'll figure it out on my own. But yeah. you're not helpful. Yeah. <laughs> So you guys, he, he kind of double takes at the grung, but he kind of beelines over to the person who needs help. And he says, uh, oh, thank you, Val. And he moves around several things in his uh, in his alchemy kit without it's saying all highly, anything. Like, it's like almost like she took like a, a speed square and it's like all at 90 degree angles. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's like a small Japanese child's lunchbox yeah. where it's all and he just messes all of it up immediately, like looking mm -hmm. around for stuff. First, he goes to the person and, again, is taking vitals in the same way uh, you guys are. Hey, uh, Val, can you check this? And, and can you, you know, if you look under the armpit, can you see what's the color that it's got going on around there? Oh, and I'll mention, I didn't say that this particular tiefling is kind of a bluish color, wearing interesting, different clothing uh, and kind of big, almost like horseshoe like horns. upright horns. Exactly. Actually, that was, that was one of the things I was going to ask was, based on their clothing, do I know where they most likely came from you can roll me a history check okay <laughs> natural one mm, nope no <laughs> could have been the moon 19 mm. for Catherine. so he's been in a major city for you know most of his life and he's seen a lot of people come and go maybe it's something a clothing he's recognized not from around here. yeah so actually what you would not have ever met someone who was wearing something like this you were maybe on a patrol one day and you walked past a clothing shop, you know, a fancy, globally conscious fashion. It was like, oh, we're bringing in all the best fabrics and styles from around the world. This set of clothing, again, there are tieflings all over the place, certainly. But this style of clothing you heard was like from another continent. And people don't travel across continents anymore. <laughs> like... Some people maybe do, but the world remains a little too big and fragmented and scary where people are just now kind of traveling on their own continents because not everyone has a runic road to travel on. I think you're right, Selv. She's not from around here. What, what happened here? Would you like to roll me a medicine check, Sophie? Guidance. With guidance and with advantage as you are being assisted. 18. Ooh, okay. That is indeed enough. Not only are they absolutely poisoned, you just kind of have the poisoned condition, as they say in Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition, but this person also mechanically has five levels oh, of exhaustion. Shit. So they are not able to move. Again, they are currently unconscious just because of the sheer amount of whatever is that is affecting them. 
but yeah, they are have five levels of exhaustion. So they aren't able to move, aren't able to speak. This person is in a bad, bad way. You guys are kind of working over, not only you're able to diagnose them, but you're able to kind of between the two of you administer just the right amount of poultices and stuff to stabilize this person. They're still actively poisoned, but you get the sense that like, ooh, they were in pretty rough shape and they may or may not have died. Level five? Yeah. And six is death. Six is death. Yeah. As yeah, a reminder it's, around it's the bad. Table. <laughs> and I'll even say you get the impression and, and you and Etras are talking. It's like, oh, no, well, she is. She just got just a wallop of a dose of poison. And hey, hey, Cass, you said you were okay ish, right? Yeah, still feeling fine. Well, even with it being dead. Val like, not- takes off her gloves and like w- w- washes her hand really Throws quick, them in the fire. And like <laughs> goes and starts looking in like Casper's eyes to see if they're <laughs> dilated and just like starts looking at the area and like at his neck and it's like pulling his mail away from his uh away from his neck which like kind of chokes him yeah and <laughs> he's Etris, used to a lot of like field medicine so like this is very yeah and Etris is like also like leaning over her shoulder just peppering you with the occasional question how's your big toes feel he wiggles them a little bit i still got them okay well that is a that is great news I've been I've been thinking, Val, and this poison, it doesn't seem like it's a strong poison. I don't really, I don't get it. It's not a poison I'm really familiar with because, mm-hmm. no offense, checkers, it's there's it's just a weird, very particular grungy kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I'm getting the sense that, like, she's in a bad way because she just has a lot of it. It's not necessarily lethal poison, but she's just like almost had a lethal dose. Exactly. Where where she she's had so much and whatever it is, it is nasty stuff. I, I, I what I had ready in terms of, uh, you know, your kind of anti-poisonal deals mm-hmm. I just used. But is there like a risk of poisoning for y'all in the near future, you think? You know, I'm not, I'm asking questions to know how to help, not mm-hmm. know how to judge. You understand? Mm-hmm. Well, Cass, you said we needed to go back. I think we've got a long night in front of us. Unfortunately. <laughs> Sorry, I chuckle because I've imagined Checkers has just fallen back asleep on top of Mango, <laughs> <laughs> like waiting for somebody. Yes, to like, yes, <laughs> though. But yes, even, even, with, even with all of the questions whirring through his right. mind and the existential nature of all this is just like, I'm just tired. I mean, he's like, I'm not going to solve this now, <laughs> so I might as well take a nap while we... Yeah, while Val, we... Val can think about it. Right. She's the smart one. <laughs> right. She'll figure it out. We've been walking all day. I'm tired. Just I love Checker so much. <laughs> <laughs> I think... This tiefling is okay in Etris's hands, but there's still something in that forest that I don't think can wait. Okay. Mm. Do you think it was the grung that poisoned the tiefling or something else? It must have been the grung, but like Etra said, they must have been together for for days, hours, together, just in Ooh. contact with something that, that happened does like make this. It, that is that is interesting. Mm-hmm. That could could do it if it was just kind of like. On, just touching how her. Did you, how did you find them? Were they touching the whole time? They were. They were touching, but that doesn't make any sense. They must have been like that for days. I, I mean, it's mm-hmm. not impossible well, well, that they were. Again, at, at least Etrus is like, well, that 
at least that makes sense. That's what way it could happen. Uh, I don't, again, I don't really, uh, it, checker. Oh, you should ask checkers if he knows, but, uh, okay. Okay. So you're going off into the, the darkness and there's going to be poisony kind of things. There might be fighting. There's a possibility of poison. All right. All right. Val, if you don't mind, make sure no one, uh, keels over in the next mm -hmm. like 30 seconds. Yeah. One moment. Yes. And Etris jumps up again all like weird and uh you know gangly uh you know kind of all moving and his arms and limbs limbs moving in a bunch of directions and he leaps into the back of the wagon and you do hear a bunch of boxes and stuff just being ripped open and hay being you know kind of thrown out to the out out the back of it Sel will, will turn to to val maybe the grung has something on him that will tell us what they were doing like Val, like actually, like face palms, and it's like you're yes, self. Can you very carefully search his body? And we should also I, search hers. I may need part of your gloves. Felt uh... hands <laughs> over. I imagine like Cell like tries to put the gloves on, but it's like natural talent. Yeah, just like shred the glove. Ah, <laughs> uh, they're yes, much bigger. Um, she, her hands are very small, yeah. especially compared to yours. Yeah, it's like oh, the, I hand them to the you. The glove it's like, does not fit. Oh right. Um, hmm. I'll do it, and I'll just put the gloves on. Can you search her body? Yes. Thank you. I will take a quick look at the uh, tiefling and see if there's anything. I assume noteworthy. you guys are kind of just taking your time to like go over as Etris is ripping yeah. stuff yeah, yeah. up. And uh, in the back of Val's mind, she's just like, but I just organized. <laughs> you don't find anything on either of these okay. creatures. And I, I feel like I kind of skimmed over it, but you know, especially now that you're really like handling and not paying attention to the fact of like, I need to save this person's life is that this person's clothes are not well-maintained. They seem to have once been very, very nice, very, again, bright and colorful and just like interesting patterns sewn into them. But they're dirty, there's rips, there's fraying, that kind of thing. But you don't see anything on either of these bodies, the, the two mm -hmm. of you. The one last thing I wanted mm -hmm. to try before we like ready ourselves to go into the woods is I would like to try to mind link with her. Ooh, what is that? So what does that what what does that do? Yeah. So the note I have is for mind link response. It says when you're using mind link to speak telepathically to a creature, you can use your action to give them the creature the ability to speak telepathically with you for an hour or until it ends. To use this ability, the creature must be able to see you. So I think it won't work, but Val still wants to like try. Yeah. And actually, you know, what I would say is that there are instances where that I could see that working, where someone's like paralyzed or something. Right. Mm -hmm. But they still have mental faculties. But this person is yeah fully unconscious. Okay. Um, and so you reach out with your mind and there's nothing there. Again, this person is clearly alive, clearly fairly stable, mm -hmm. but is just way too out of it cool. to respond. Etris comes back and he's like, oh, oh okay. All right. All right, y'all. So first here, uh, and he just kind of dispenses and he has just like a whole crate uh, that he's just holding in his arms. And he's just like shoves his whole forearm in and is just rummaging around. And he's like, okay, okay, first. Uh, all right, here, uh, take, uh, take these four guys. And he hands you four potions of minor healing. I, I still got a few extras of those kicking around. We don't want to use all of them uh, right this second. Um, okay, okay. And he gives you, uh, all right, here's three three of these guys. That'll help a little bit with the poison. That's kind of all I got right now. 
I can make some more later, but I'm going to be making some, you get it, you get it, you get it. That potion gives you a D4 on all checks against poison for the next one hour after you drink it. All right. Uh, how about, ooh, I'm really, ooh, out. I think I cut myself. That's fine. I'm sure it is nothing too bad. Uh, and <laughs> then, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, okay, uh, here is two vials of insect repellent. In case, Very smart. Thank you. Uh, there are skeeters in there. And one anti-diuretic, if that's useful. I'll keep that. And admit and decide. Who needs yeah, it's it kind later. of an as necessary yeah. kind of thing, but you know, I, I like to keep you guys all prepared. What was the po- the poison potion? Uh, D four against poison for one hour. What was it called? Uh, Anti poison potion. Anti poison. <laughs> exactly. Anti-venom. Nailed it. That's uh, that's what I uh, what I got right now. Um, one thing I imagine that has probably happened while we've been traveling is that Val has, at least in her head, some kind of list of ingredients that Etris needs for potions and stuff like oh, that? absolutely. Okay. This is how, this is like her 101 of how to become an alchemist is like errands for Etris. Yeah. <laughs> of like, what and, do you need? And, and Val is like, it. Val is like, okay, doing the grunt work to like, coming in on the ground floor to learn something. Because if She's we're- behind it. If it's the, the way- you know, Cass described it, then there's probably an ancient forest, which means there's probably some of this stuff growing mm-hmm. growing around places. So before y'all leave, if you could help me move the body. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You could even, I kind of made a little space in the wagon there, so you could probably just throw it on up. And, you know, I, I don't know what kind of the, done thing is the way mm-hmm. to kind of pay respects to the twin-headed death grave god or what for for this sort of thing either way i don't i don't want it here yes. i feel like questions will be asked and i am not i do not want to be legally liable for these sorts of <laughs> things right right now fair i i'm i'm a little hot so to speak mm-hmm. so Val will kind of just like, yep, Etris, we got you. Don't worry about we it. Understand. We understand. You. you are a I will, very strange being. Well, I, I do appreciate that. Thank you so much. Cass, of course. Can you yeah, Cass, can you like put a towel over your hands? Yeah, no. Cashkin will actually take like one of the like spare blankets, just one of the ratty old ones from the caravan and wrap this rung body around Smart. it. Smart. Yeah. Before placing it in the caravan in a tucked away corner. Perfect. So Etris is kind of going around, and again, he's giving you all these potions. You see that Poti is still just dead asleep, snoring, doing weird donkey snores. So do you guys go into the forest? We're following your lead, Cass. Checkers will wake up at this point and go, "Uh, It wasn't a dream, was it, Cass? No, sorry, Checkers. We still have to go, don't we? Uh, We do. We still have to go. There's still work to be done tonight. Come on, best to get started. I assume, Cass, are you leading them? Mm-hmm. I will take us back to where I had walked into the forest the first time. Okay. And I know a lot of you do not have dark vision. Are you lighting anything as you are traversing into the woods? Checkers would light a torch at this point. Okay. That would cast light um, 
something of Gaskrin's. Okay, most likely. Perfect. Or uh, do you want? Do you want you can, light? You can cast it on Selva's staff. Yeah, I don't want light. Are you gonna be like a little bit of head? Yeah, of I'm gonna be a little okay. bit of head. Yeah, so I'll cast it on your staff because I'm looking for where the forest turns to road. Yeah. So you guys go in again. Cass is at least a little bit ahead of you guys. I assume mm-hmm. not too far away. Whatever the magical distance that adventurers know to be apart from each other uh, <laughs> so as not to lose each other in the dark. I assume that is what you're doing. Yep. And that you are well-trained guilders. Cass, you, you know, you don't have that same kind of like pull as you did, but you're still able to find your way. No problem. And you're feeling along like, okay, this feels right. This feels right. And then you get that sense that, oh, I found the road again. Mm-hmm. So you're able to keep guiding people and Cass, you know, I don't know how poetic he got in describing it, but for you guys, it's just like, okay, creepy woods. Yep. (laughs) We're here and it is dark and it is the woods and it is, again, there's, it's loud and there's all kinds of strange sounds happening all around you because that's what happens when you're in these woods or any woods in Rixia. You are soon, Kaskarin, able to lead everyone, again, with relative ease, back into this strange clearing, ruin, whatever it is. And you guys now see, again, this tree, this beautiful, ancient tree that is just standing proudly in the middle of this. You do not see a creature, a woman or otherwise. Uh, Again, you do see, again, just just sparkling in a weird way. Again, there are all, a lot of them are oxidized and old, but it still has a very interesting effect, especially with you guys having cast light and having torches and stuff. This really beautiful tree just right in the middle of everything. So I, I imagine it's, it, like you said, it was covered in coins. Yeah, that are just nailed it Basically to it. silver and copper. And some gold pieces, yeah. Okay, because the gold... Doesn't oxidize, but Perfect. that's it's all right. That's so where that's it's shiny. It's a, okay, yeah. <laughs> good, it's good, extra, good. It's extra shiny. All right, and all right. or it's just dirty. Yeah, that's true. But you guys can see the notch that is still there from where Kaskarin was describing that an axe was embedded in it. I imagine like Kaskarin has to reach out his hand and is like, "Not now, Val," as she's running forward to try to maybe study this tree. No, <laughs> so when Val comes to this clearing. She understands the significance. Okay. The illustrious, I say it different. Athenaeum. How do you say it? I think I, I just skipped the end, like Atheum or something. That's fine. Perfect. <laughs> That's fine. What um, can, yeah. Anthem, uh, the illustrious is, A. Yeah. yeah. The IA. <laughs> Perfect. Know. Done. It's a, it's a religious order. So she does have this desire and passion for knowledge. But it is reined in a bit. It's like yeah. It's not, yeah. yeah. There are limits to what she would do. Yeah. And there's a right, a right way to do it. Yeah. It always kind of was my, my impression. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. Jonathan. I would like to say that Checkers absolutely has none of that <laughs> respect that Val might have. And the first thing that he does when seeing this tree goes, Val, how, how do you think this thing goes? And he actually begins to like jump towards it in an attempt to climb the thing. Val is too like... Does anyone tree. stop him? I, yeah. I will. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone just around the table is all looking at each other and be like, I don't uh, know what the right thing to do is, and we don't oh, want checkers to no, die. But Val, also, Val is checkers, like, checkers, checkers, stop, stop. Yeah. Stop. Oh, oh, we're stopping. Oh, okay. 
do I know anything about like do I recognize the tree at all or anything like this or if there's stories yeah, give about me this? A, uh, I'll take uh, I don't know what do you think either maybe religion or history those are both perfect okay Val was going to ask to roll a religion check because okay. I feel like given your description of this this seems more a spiritual or religious site especially given the description of the woman guiding you there you know ooh there's a lot of things that I could ask for mm-hmm. or that well, whatever you guys want to roll will give you more different information. I'll put it that way. Val will clasp her shield to her chest and like touch the goblet with the eye on her shield. The holy symbol, the of, holy her, symbol. Of, the, of the God of knowledge. And cast guidance. I was going to remind you as the kind, generous dungeon master Ooh. that I am. Uh, so I rolled history, and I've got a 17. Ooh, okay. Religion. 13. Ooh, okay. So what was yours again? 17. Uh, okay, 17 on history. You know that this is probably a luck tree, which is something that doesn't happen all over the place, but is kind of one of those just ancient traditions that happens in certain cultures around the world. And was just kind of a centerpiece, especially as you're kind of looking around and you're seeing like, okay, this bits of rubble was like maybe this was a town or something like that. And this was probably a tree that was imbued with a lot of meaning, a lot of ceremony and that kind of stuff by the townspeople. Val, your 13 mm-hmm. religion. You would also know, not necessarily that it was called a luck tree or kind of those trappings, but you do get the sense that like, okay, there was a ceremony here and there's a, some sort of a creature, a spirit or something that is attached to this tree. Maybe there was a relationship or it imbued meaning to the tree and gave it life. I'm not entirely sure, but you immediately know that, yes, this was a righteous quote-unquote holy place at one point in time and may still be do any of the coins have a visible date on them we'll say since you said that gold does not oxidize you see one coin and it is several centuries old checkers will happily check more coins if that's a thing that we're interested in going (laughs) to no 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 we there is still something i I, I think we have something a little bit more pressing but yeah i just wanted a like a general time frame yeah, so centuries old. Pre-Pentarchy, we'll, I'll, I'll say, at minimum. We can come back to this tree in a little bit, but there's something else in this forest right. that is waiting for us to find it. And Castron will start moving towards the where the woman pointed him to and sort of go in the same distance just mm. to check that there's still nothing there. And it's safe to keep moving. Yeah, so it is. So I wanted to say real quick. Absolutely. Before we moved on can val do a medicine check on the the axe wound in the tree Mm, yes so yeah go for it 17 it is interesting just in the same way like in the way david described it is true where it is this weird it is sap but it's also not sap but it does seem to have dried you know and it's not like actively bleeding bleeding i was gonna say leaking and i didn't like that but yeah, so it's not actively bleeding or anything anymore. So it seems like, yeah, that's not good. Mm-hmm. But it's, it is okay, and it is kind of stopped. That will continue on then. Uh, 
Well, would she know if it needs healing? So, no. Okay. So, it's one of those things where, like, yes, but you are not sure if your particular brand of healing would do anything. Would do, yeah, do anything to this very specific (laughs) kind of an experience. You guys carry on further into the forest. You guys are going for a few hundred more feet still. In the distance, and and this is with knowing your guys' passive perception, checkers, you probably hear it first, mm-hmm. where something changes in the air, in the sounds and that kind of stuff. We're like, okay, hold on. It was just nature sounds. Mm, there's something else. What is it? What is it? And so if you kind of get a little taste of it too, just a little after checkers does. You checkers do hear chopping of wood, clearly, and it's of several axes hitting wood. Hold on, guys. I think I hear something. Sounds like there's a bunch of... Is that wood chopping? Alex stops and, like, starts listening and, like, tilting her head. It's like, I don't hear it yet. Yes. Can everyone roll me perception checks? 10 on perception. 11. 12. 10. You can't quite tell exactly where it is. And again, maybe it's just because it's, there's a lot of, there's actually, it sounds like quite a few axes somewhere up ahead. So it's echoing weird. Not that I think we're in any real danger, but uh, checkers would like to cast the cantrip magic stone and summon three little frog stones. <laughs> okay. Put them in his hat. Anything else anyone else would like to do? Do we want to cover the light for right now or be ready to cover it? Or we can hang back while you go ahead. This does seem like something where maybe we should be a little stealthy. I will give it my best. Clang, clang, clang. Guidance. (laughs) Val will actually say, like, may you find the truth we seek as she casts guidance on you. (laughs) Okay. Kaskin will walk forward ahead of the group and try to get closer to this clearing where he hears the wood chopping now. Roll me a, a stealth check, please. I have disadvantage because I'm... But add a d4. Yes. So I have 15 on the die, plus one, minus one. So 15. Ooh, and that was the low one was a 15. Oh, no, I suck. It's a seven. (laughs) It's actually just seven. Okay. Uh, (laughs) You got us all excited. So, so, wow, that was... was great. did. And and, and as a reminder, usually we'd be doing a group stealth check, but because of just the way things were arranged, it was very much a, like, Cass has to go first, and, like, he's by himself. Cass, you are doing your best. You know this is not exactly your, to use a ranger term, favored terrain, shall we say? In that you are, again, giant maul, heavy armor, big, actual, literal, made-of-rock dwarf. So you're approaching, but you're, you know... The natural choice for stealth missions. Exactly. But you're keeping an eye out. You're watching things. You're trying to take it in. You're doing your best. You see a clearing ahead of you. You see a lot of stumps right on the edge of it. It's clear that several someones or some things have been chopping down a lot of wood here deep in the forest. You start to see, and this is, again, you guys all can kind of see this too. I mean, I'm just for the sake of it. You are close enough to be like, okay, something's up there. There's a little bit of light. Something along those lines. 
You don't hear or see anyone right next to you at this point, and you see these flickers of fires. In this clearing, you see quite a few grungs. Easily more than a dozen, maybe two dozen grungs of all sorts of different fluorescent colors. Uh, Not just the green that you saw earlier, but there's blues, there's purples, and there are certainly many greens. You see, again, all these different colored grungs, and you see several of these grungs seem to be almost riding around mortals, dwarves, elves, humans, of course, and all, you know, all, all the different species that you can imagine in the fantasy world. And the grungs are not the ones doing the chopping. The mortals and monsters and animals that they are riding are the ones doing the chopping. And in the middle of all of this, you see a almost like sticking out like a sore thumb because of how bright it is. A golden yellowish grung that is notable in and of itself, but is especially notable because of what it is sitting on. One way I can say it is that it is sitting on kind of a raised dais, you know, with a almost like a weird ramshackle twig-based throne. But also, that dais is on, I guess the best way to describe it is kind of like a backpack structure being worn by a 13-foot-tall creature that is has this big round belly and big muscular arms and kind of this ruddy face that seems, you know, relatively, would seem relatively normal if it didn't have just this slack-jawed blank look on it, clearly out of it. And you look around, you see all the other mortals and animals and stuff are all also like slack-jawed and totally unaware of what's going on, but still somehow responding to what these grung are doing to them. You see again this golden grung sitting on top of this huge creature. All around it, you can see it is shoving these fruits, uh, these like weird spiky fruits into its mouth whole, and it is just like this big chubby grung that's just like sitting there. And you can see it's like chirruping and grung being like ordering people around ordering people to get it more of these fruits right next again you see this huge pile of these weird fruits that are like a big stockpile almost if that scene wasn't strange enough there is a sudden noise like a accompanied by a flash and then a steady glow of alien blue light a swirling portal of energy particles begin uh, swirling before snapping into a sudden construct. From the angle you guys are at, you almost have to lean to either side to see it as it appears to be almost two-dimensional. As you look at it, you realize this portal has actually formed a doorway. Through its arch, you see a dense, thick, jungle scenery with sun shining down through the canopy and out of this door from it springs a handful of other grung all carrying more of this strange fruit or strange inflated bladders and behind them you see another creature step forward the figure is much taller 
than the diminutive grung, long and thin in frame. The creature is leaning almost tiredly on a crooked, curved, and gnarled staff. They are wearing a loose tunic that seems to be covered by a tattered cape and are wearing several distinct and intricate necklaces, some of whom drape down to their midsection. You see traces of light blue skin underneath bandages covering most of their arms and exposed ears that are almost goat-like. You see it is wearing a strange, plain, almost flat wooden mask with no features beyond eye holes. And behind those eye holes are these glowing yellow pupils. Deer-like antlers emerge from either side of the creature's head or the mask. You can't really tell Long lines of the same strange blue light emitting from the portal run almost like tattoos across its arms and neck. Finally, in its other hand, you see it holding a strange brass or gold lantern whose ornate decoration seems out of place when held by a creature who gives off the distinct impression of a life spent outdoors. The figure gestures at the sleepy, chubby, golden grung. It seems to be telling this chieftain or whatever lazily but forcefully to, you know, stay, you know, stay here. kind of points forcefully at the camp, uh, clearly being like, stay here. They wait a moment for the grung to, again, sleepily nod its ascent almost dismissively as it's kind of laying down on its side like a you know Greek god nodding its ascent, kind of nodding off to sleep. The figure shakes their head and turns away towards the portal. You see their tattoos light up even more as particles like those you saw coming from the portal itself begin to emerge from the creature's body. It holds up the lantern to the portal, and with another flash of energy, you see the doorway almost go static for a moment before changing. Now, instead of a jungle, you see a set of stairs leading upwards into nothingness. Behind it, you see big blue stars in constellations you don't recognize. The creature kind of gathers itself, steps through the two-dimensional doorway, and then, in a flash, closes. There's one last thing I'd like to wrap up, which is Kaskrin, from just to your right behind you and kind of close to the party, actually, you hear a loud croak as you see several glistening beady eyes of Grung holding wood axes staring directly at you. Shit. (laughs) And we'll pick it up next week, everyone. Thanks for playing. Thanks for listening. 